Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. To the reaction presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the down since day one co-host, Mr. Tony Acero. Yo. Unfortunately, Miss Puglisi is still out on family matters and will hopefully be returning next week. Our best to Mama Puglisi all the same. Right, Tony? I mean, I'm not going to say wrong. Just say yes and move on. Sure. Okay. Um, first show we've done since it happened. Uh, rest in peace, Road Warrior Animal, Joseph Laronitis. Not going to ask you any memories or anything like that. And I know you hate when I put you on the spot like that. Um, Laronitis has affected us in two ways as sports fans, respectively. Um, both himself as a professional wrestler, one half of obviously the world famous Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, the tag team with Michael Hawk Hagstrand, who's previously passed away as well. In addition, the world of professional football, as his son was a NFL linebacker for a number of years with the Green Bay Packers named James. So, again, our condolences to the Laronitis family and Big Johnny, too. It's his, uh, Older brother, I believe. I think John's younger. I'm not sure on that. I'm going to have to look that up. <clears throat> Regardless, uh, our condolences to the Laronitis family at the, pre- the present moment. All right, so usually the night after a pay-per-view, Tony, we would start talking about the pay-per-view at the top of the show with our final reaction. And we would kind of just glaze over SmackDown it was just there. It's just a go-home show. There's nothing important going to happen or anything like that. I don't think we're afforded that luxury this week, Mr. Acero. Oh, no. 
why don't we talk about what might have been the best segment of the year in the WWE from this past Friday night SmackDown? <clears throat> you mean Zelina? Well, she's on Raw, so no. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you said the best segment of the uh, year. Um, uh, maybe Alexa. I mean, Alexa did look really hot with pigtails. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're referring to how we went off the air for SmackDown. Tony, why don't you go ahead and give everyone your thoughts on the closing segment, the go-home segment with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso from this past Friday night's episode. Um, it's rare that that I get chills while watching wrestling, and it's not something that I say a lot because, I mean, it's, it's kind of cliche, but it also is um, – just you can't just throw that around um and when you look at the end of smackdown it wasn't all that powerful in terms of word usage but just you've been drawn in over the last couple of weeks and this is what i've been saying for years that if wanted to the wwe can make a star overnight all they have to do is focus on something that's relatable all they have to do is give it a little bit of a time and energy and they've done that with Jey Uso and Roman Reigns and um, on SmackDown we had a little video package of the family talking and you saw Rikishi and you saw some you know better known names of that particular family so it was it brought it all together nicely and it gave it this legitimacy so you had this emotion involved and then to just put an exclamation point on that you had Jay cut a promo that was so simple yet so powerful to say that you know as a twin which is something even if you're not a twin you can kind of at least understand where he's coming from that people constantly ask which one are you and let that linger for a little bit it just gave it this importance that jay had something to prove not just to the family but to fans to the wwe universe if you want to call it that to everyone and to himself super powerful and the only thing that made it better was the match that happened last night. Um, not just to the fans and to the family and to the, uh, to the to the universe in general, to management as well. That was Jay Uso standing and delivering. That was Uso taking the opportunity. And if you want to talk about those proverbial brass rings, that was Uso trying to grab one. Rather or not, he's able to stay at this level even – and even if it's just until Jimmy's back from his torn ACL, that remains to be seen. But it was an opportunity for Jay Uso to make his name known and to give you a character development that you could relate to. Uh, my favorite line in the um, my favorite line in the entire promo wasn't the uh, "Which one are you?" line. It's the one that preceded it. When Roman finished talking and was exiting the ring, talking about how Roman needed to be the head of the family in order for the family to be successful. Jay Uso looks at him and sim- simplistically delivers the line, but what if you're wrong? <clears throat> what if it doesn't need to be you to be the head of the family? What if it need- what if it could be me providing for my family as well as the rest of the family in this spot here? There goes the big dog. There goes Mr. WrestleMania. Do you know what they say when they see me? Which one are you? Goosebumps, literal goosebumps, at the passion with which Jay delivered that statement. And it was made was even better shit. by the way. They, and it was made even better by the way it went off the air with Roman sneak attacking him with the Superman punch, and then the close-up camera work there, 
with Roman telling him, you're going to take this match, you're going to take this opportunity, you're going to take the payday, you're going to take the ass whooping that comes with it because I need to be the head of the family. Segment of the year. I stand by it. The best segment on WWE television this year. From Roman know, to Jay to Heyman, all of it. Night I think Vision, it was better Goggle, than I, Randy Orton might give it a run for its money. I have a rant about that. We'll get to when we talk about <laughs> Raw. And you might be able to guess what my rant is, given my history with wrestling and what my involvement with wrestling was. We'll Stay get tuned. there. All right. <laughs> We will, trust me. All right, so overall show rating for SmackDown, Tony? I think I think I gave it an 8. Um, it could not, just because Jay and Roman had killed it throughout the entire show, did not give the entire show a pass. There were still some weak points, and um, it just um, it, it didn't bring it down so much to where it was annoying, but it, I did I did end up lowering it a bit because of that. I'm a little bit higher than you are, but I think a lot of that has to do with there was a lot of entering focus on this episode of SmackDown as well, in addition to the absolutely magnetic go-home segment at the end. I want mm-hmm. eight and a half. Speaking of eight and a half, spoiler alert, that was my rating for Clash of Champions as well. <clears throat> and, what might, and what might have been the best pay-per-view top to bottom the WWE has done this year. Yeah, I don't have a rating for the show, but I a rare occasion where I was able to watch a pay-per-view before our little um, hour-and-a-half to two-hour talk. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I think every match was good to great. Stories were being told. Um, even though I thought Flair show, show Christian and HBK sh- showing up were kind of cheesy and a little bit too like obvious, I guess you could say, after the first one. Um, I still enjoyed it for what it was. It, it was a nice little bow on it. And it was kind of like, okay, this is something I can get behind, even though it, you, there's logical holes in it, even though, you know, but who can't laugh at Ric Flair maniacally driving away an ambulance? Just as importantly to that as well, it gives Orton an out in order to set up the Hell in a Cell match too. Right. And let's not forget that main event. Holy shit, man. All right, let's first of all talk about, in my opinion, the best in-ring match of the evening, and that was the triangle ladder match that opened the show. Holy shit. Um, Jeff Hardy has a death wish. AJ Styles is fucking nuts. And whoever is working with Sammy to get Sammy's character where it is right now deserves a fucking raise. That's all Sammy. You have to you have to accept that that's all Sammy. Okay, so I tend to eat during pay-per-views because I stop, we stop somewhere, I grab food, and then I go watch the shows at the friend's house usually. I'm legitimately queasy watching this eating my tacos when Sammy hooks those handcuffs for Jeff's earlobe. <laughs> that spot was fucking disgusting, Tony. I 
I will say this much. I picked Sammy to win. I'm just saying. I think that there's meat on the bone with the Sammy character here. And the best part about that is, did you see the uh, WWE on Fox tweet? No. <clears throat> Sam, they tweeted out a picture of Sammy holding the title up, and they said, now he's never going to shut up. And then oh, Sammy yeah, tweeted I back. I that. And then Sammy tweeted back. Sammy tweeted back. You're right, biatch. Huh. Which is just so in Sammy's character to rub it in everybody's nose. I love that he corrected Kayla as well when Kayla congratulated him on regaining the title. And he's like, ah, 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 no, I kept the Intercontinental title. Thank you very much. Yeah, he's been doing great. And it's just, I'm glad he won because this is the, he's going to be the guy you just can't wait to see beat up. I only hope it's not Jeff Hardy or AJ Styles to, to do it. I am exhausted of the Jeff Hardy character, like completely uninterested to the point where his ear spot did nothing for me. I have a off-the-wall prediction for you for the man to take the Intercontinental title from Sami Zayn. Of course you do. Jey Uso. I don't think that's off-the-wall. I would love if they did that, but I also wouldn't want it to come off as like a consolation prize. What's for dinner over there? Because now I'm curious, because I can definitely hear you eating. Oh, I'm eating a very healthy burrito. I had tacos for dinner last night, so we're keeping it in the Mexican family. All right. So we talked about the triangle ladder match, which was fantastic athletically. There are two different sides to professional wrestling, Tony. There's the sports side, and then there's the entertainment side. The main event was nowhere near as good as the ladder match in terms of the in-ring content of the match itself. The match itself, I had somewhere around three stars-ish. That was a five-star story, Tony. Yeah, I mean, I could argue that, you know, Jay got squashed a little too much. But, I mean, Reigns without a shirt is imposing as fuck. So, it wasn't too hard to believe. He's like, you know, fucking Aquaman. Um so I, I, I can't harp on it too much. The story itself, though, just solid. I mean, e- even Jimmy's part in it was that I loved that entire moment. Like, you don't owe him shit. Like, you don't need to say nothing. I'm going to throw in the towel. You don't need to say anything. And then cowering over his brother, like, we're family, bro. Like, you ruined a lot. Never mind the ring. You ruined everything in the future. Family reunion, dinner talk, all this shit. It's over. And you felt all of that weight without them having to explain that. Um, Another one of my favorite moments is him tossing Jay out of the ring and saying, you can't even stay on this island and you're trying to run it. Like, you can't even stay in the ring. Like, oh, oh, beautiful. Great shit. Just awesome. Two other dynamics I loved from this match. One Roman-specific, one Jay-specific. The Roman-specific one, Heyman. And him shouting down Heyman. Like, Heyman looking at him like, that's enough. That's enough. You are my tribal chief. And Roman saying, I don't need to hear it from you. I need to hear it from him. That establishes yeah, the dynamic is, between Heyman and Roman right there perfectly. Definitely not Brock and Heyman, and I love that. And then the Jay thing that made him look like more of a badass. When Jimmy first limps his way down to the ring and is threatening to throw the towel in, 
you clear as day hear Jay in the ring say, don't run that shit, bro. If he's going to beat me, he's going to have to kill me, you know? Mm-hmm. The level of urban connection, you could say, that the Street Profits attempt to maintain was right there in those simple four words. Don't run that shit. Done. It's very, very simple. It's something that I've spoken about for years. It, it, it's natural with the Usos. When they're not scripted and they're themselves, that you could imagine that this is how they talk on a daily basis. It is very much who they are. They are the type of guys that freestyle at night just to try it out, and they're pretty good at it. They're the guys that live their gimmick. They probably have, like, over 100 pairs of Air Force Ones. Like, that's them. That's who they are. It's how they are. And there's really not a stretch of bounds of reality to understand that the characters I see are very closely related <laughs> so when, to who they are, really. So when they have this grounded-in-reality storyline, it only makes it all the better. Those are two brothers talking to each other. Like, we're not doing that shit here. You know, it's not, it's not an urban vernacular or patois that, you're, that you have to get used to because you don't need to understand them. You just need to understand what's being said. And when you see it, you believe it to be true. It's different than, and I won't even call the Street Profits out so blatantly because I don't feel like I know them, but that's also a problem. Uh, I will simply say that it doesn't come off as genuine the way that it does with Jimmy and Jay. And this is on multiple accounts, not just last night. In, just in general, having met them, I think twice I've met them, that's them. Like, it's just how they are. They're just cool as shit. So seeing that and seeing that in relation to the story that they're trying to tell, it's just super powerful. And I hope that they can find some uh, legs in this to make it last longer than just last night because there's some more there. And I'm, I'm, I'm chomping at the bits for it. I can't wait. Obviously, Reigns and Jay get our favorite match or moment of the night last night because as good as the latter match was, you got you got to tug at the strings as well when it comes to pro wrestling. And Roman and Jay did a perfect fucking job of that. Who's your least favorite yeah, match wonderful. or moment from last night? From last night's show. Uh, um, I won't say that it was an active moment, but more of a passive one. The unfortunate uh, cancellation of the Nikki match, and even though I'm not a fan of Nia Jack. Just uh, I don't I don't like anybody having to miss out on an opportunity because of you know COVID, um, and, that, and that's a presumption, not a, a, an accurate fact. Uh, but you know the whole idea of card subject to change is great when you're a wrestling fan because it's you know you never know what you're gonna get. But when it comes to people possibly being in danger, that always sucks. Uh, specifically, I'm gonna go with uh, Bailey Oscar just because of the fact that they went three and a half minutes, but that's kind of a cop-out in a sense, just because it was thrown together last minute once Nikki was pulled from the show, so I get it. I get why they did what they did. I think it was way too early to bring Sasha back to television, but if they're going to put Bailey and Sasha in the cell, you kind of have to. And for the record, I do think Bailey and Sasha are going in the cell for the SmackDown Women's title. We'll talk more about that next week. Yeah, I was super bummed out about that, too, like her coming back so quickly. And, I mean, look, Sasha, I love you, but if you're wearing a neck brace, you got to make it look like your neck hurts. <laughs> Poor girl. That's an impossible task because, I mean, you, you know, if you're in pain, you can't fake it. But if you're not in pain, sometimes it's hard to fake it. And if you're wearing a neck brace and you're swinging your hair out of your face, I don't know. I would imagine that there's a twinge of pain that would happen. 
You have an overall show rating for Clash? No. You're not even going to ballpark one? No, I think that would be unfair. Very well. Who's your MVP for the show? Uh, oof, I'm going to give it to Jay. Reigns is doing great with his heel turn. This is this is everything Cena should have been. And for them to, I mean, Reigns is more realistic now than I've ever seen him. He still has that attitude that he had in the Shield when he would cut the very, very simplistic promos, and it hasn't disappeared. But now, again, same thing with this. I mean, when, let's look at the family real quick, man. This family's been entertaining us for years, and it's just it's it's natural, man. It's crazy. Reigns as Reigns, you can imagine that this is him turned up, and that's all that we've ever asked for from wrestlers, and that's all that every single legend ever in every interview has ever said you need to do in order to connect with the audience. Who are you? Turn that shit up. And I really feel that Reigns has turned it all the way up. There was talk going around that Cena wanted to turn heel, and the WWE refused to do it because they didn't want to lose their merchandise, Cal. Yeah, you know what they don't understand, though, is that us wrestling fans, it's 2020. We fucking love heels. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's Yeah, we a, don't a, care if they're a good guy or a bad guy. We don't care if they're a good guy or a bad guy. We'll buy merchandise for whoever the fuck we like, regardless of their affiliation. I bought a Ricky Stark shirt. I mean, I think a little bit of that comes from knowing him and seeing him at the Indies and show up on AEW. It's kind of like a proud thing. But dude's a heel. You know? <laughs> like, Speaking of people who showed up tonight, um, tonight, I think I messaged you this while while you were working on the re- on the report. Did you notice what I noticed? I don't know. I'm about ninety percent sure that the first guy in the Bianca Belair vignette that walked off was Sugar Dunkerton. Oh, I didn't notice. The former Pineapple Pete. If it wasn't him, then I'm going to be really surprised because it sure as hell looked like him. Um, I was going to give it to Jay as well. So since you gave yours to Jay, I'll give mine to Roman and we'll just call the main event the MVP in general. Fair enough? Sure. All right. Let's get to tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. Our main event for the evening, set up in the opening segment after McIntyre interacted with the Legends that did get involved in the the ambulance match last night at Clash of Champions, is Drew McIntyre issuing an open challenge for the WWE Heavyweight Championship. It is answered by the returning Robert Roode. They actually have a really good match. I enjoyed. I really enjoyed the match. I thought Root looked super motivated. He looks in really good shape, and I would argue that it was one of his better matches on the main roster. McIntyre picks up the victory with the Claymore. We'll talk specifically about the match, and then we'll talk about Orton and the Legends aftermath afterwards. Because, like I said, expect a tirade. Well, you would argue that it was one of his best matches on the main roster. And I would not argue with your argument because I have not really ever been impressed by Root. Um, not to say he's a horrible wrestler or even a bad wrestler. I think he's great in the ring. I just think that the character and the teaming with Ziggler never really helped him out. So, you know, I didn't miss him. Him showing up to me wasn't a disappointment, but it also wasn't something that I was hyped about. 
Um, in terms of the match itself, you're right, super focused, super driven, wanted to put on something good. Drew helped out when necessary. Um, the legwork was awesome. I will I will say that Raw tonight had, I think, three different matches where everyone was aiming for the leg, and it got kind of, you know, tedious. But that kind of goes back to what you and I were saying, where I'm sitting here typing everything that's happening, so it's a little bit more obvious. So that's kind of an unfair assessment. I'm sure people watching, no one noticed anything. So, um, But it did get a little like, all right, we're going for the leg. Now, I know why. I know what happened last night, but this is the main event, blah, blah, blah. So, anyways, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the main event as well. Nice to see a fresh face. Nice to see Rude get some love. I just get rid of Ziggler. It does nothing for me. And I didn't like the idea that Pierce had anything to do with the open challenge or that Ziggler could have suggested a name because literally anyone could have went out there. So what, what did Pierce have anything to do with anything? It, it came off as weird. Um, and then you have Andrade come out and issue an open challenge as well when he very well could have faced Drew in the open challenge. He could not have. And of course, well, you, you, yeah, okay, yeah, he could have. You were saying like, oh, I don't, someone he's never faced before that he hasn't challenged before. Like that, that's just, that's just semantics that he didn't have to say. You don't have two open challenges on the same show, one of which is not all that believable. I don't I don't believe Andrade is the type of person to have an open challenge. It just came off as weird. Oh, no, I'll agree with that. I think Andrade issuing an open challenge immediately after McIntyre issued one for later in the show was dumb. But I think that Andrade kind of getting his comeuppance from uh, Keith Lee right there and then kind of the fall of Andrade's story being told there with he's lost his manager, he's lost his tag team partner, and then tonight he got his ass whooped by Keith Lee. I can kind of understand where the story's going there with that, and I'm okay with that. The thing yeah. with um, Andrade, Andrade has challenged McIntyre for the championship before. Yeah, yeah, I'm not denying that. It's just It came off as weird, and it, it, was, it really pigeonholed the, the challenge to specific people. And then Ziggler coming in and saying, I have a guy. Like, why would you tell Pierce? Why, why, why don't you just tell the guy? Like, <laughs> like, we didn't need that whole interaction at all. The bigger issue that I had with that is Ziggler talking to Pierce about it gave away that it was Robert Roode. I really, for a second, I thought they were going to bring um, Yo Gabba Gabba out and have him face Drew, or whatever his name is. I don't get that reference. What's his name? Abu Dhabi? Oh, Dabakito? Dabakato? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> Listen, but speaking of which, no Raw Underground tonight. Thank God. <laughs> and given the final rating in, on the Raw report that you gave, I can see that you appreciated that. All right, so I have no issue with Orton laying out the Legends backstage in our, in our go-off-the-air segment. I have no issue with that, and... The night vision goggles, I kind of get. I understand where they're coming from. Tony, what did you think of this real quick? Because I have a me-specific rant about this. Well, okay. Um, there are a couple of little things that I didn't enjoy. We kept going back there just to be reminded that they were there, but nothing happened while they were there. Like, I'm not interested in watching these guys play poker. Um Ric Flair winning with what he called a royal flush when it most obviously was not a royal flush. There were two aces there, so I don't know how that worked. Um, was kind of annoying. <clears throat> um, there, 
their banter back and forth. Like, I don't know. Just what are they doing there? I don't, I don't, and then they say that they're watching Drew. I didn't see a TV anywhere, so I don't know how they're watching Drew. Um, somebody literally printed out something that said Legends Lounge just to put on the door, which is so weird to me because it did not look like a lounge at all. <laughs> Big Show looked incredibly comfortable, uncomfortable in his chair. So all those things just kind of took me out of the thing. But I can let that go because it's minute and it's just Tony being Tony, like focusing on things that don't really fucking matter. Um, was Orton the janitor that MVP threw a bottle at? I don't know. But those are those double reference things that you probably shouldn't do in the same show because it comes off kind of confusing. Because if it was and Orton ends up facing MVP next week, then at least I'll be like, okay, that was nice. I like that because I would like that. Um, but if it wasn't him, then don't use two separate janitor segments because it's confusing. And then you get to the moment. There's a couple of things wrong. Um, I don't know what you're going to touch on. We may cross paths. I don't know. I think you might have something a little more specific than me. But Orton going in there with a chair, putting on night vision goggles, turning off the lights. I get that. I like that little added touch. And then the sound effects come on. And this is some of the worst shit I've ever heard. It sounds like Mike Tyson's punch out. Like you didn't, I didn't hear a single chair hit. All I heard were fake, which is not a chair shot, also not a punch. And like, I, I just, it just came off as so hokey, so hokey. All you needed to hear was four sick ass thuds and then turn the lights on and everybody's knocked out. HBK looked dead. He looked laid out. Ric Flair stirring, Christian stirring, Big Show looks confused and Orton's just standing there. And then he walks out, and a barrage of referees and agents come running. Where did they come running from? Who warned them? Who told them about anything? Who said, hey, by the way, guys, four legends are getting their asses beat in the middle of the dark? Like, how would they have known? Did they hear the fake sounds and wonder if somebody was losing to Mike Tyson's punch-out? I don't know. But it was so dumb of them to run and see a guy <laughs> exit the very room they're entering and then follow his finger as it leads to the trouble that's ahead. It just... Man, I know what they were going for. Just not a good execution. Oh, rough. Tony? Yeah, man. I was involved in wrestling for nine years. <laughs> Do you remember what I did when I was involved in wrestling? Uh, if I recall, you did commentary. I was a play-by-play commentator. Mm-hmm. So there's a fine art of commentary of knowing when to shut the fuck up, Byron Saxton. <laughs> Orton enters the room, turns off the lights, lowers the glasses, swack, swack. I mean, like Tony said, but still, you get the point. Byron Saxton at the ringside commentary table. What do you think is happening in there? What the fuck do you think is happening in there, jackass? <laughs> He's singing him a lullaby. Like, what the hell? Completely took me out of the moment. Well, you have to recall com- that Byron, Byron Saxton was the sole person that answered the, the request for a hell yeah when... Austin asked for it in an empty arena. <laughs> By and large, over the last couple of weeks, commentary has not pissed me off, which is all I ask for in the WWE. Because I don't expect good commentary from the WWE. 
I just ask that it doesn't insult my intelligence. Michael Cole has actually done a bang-up job on SmackDown recently with the Roman Reigns Jey Uso story, and I want to give him credit for his part in that as well. Byron Saxton. I don't care if we like the same college football team. Go Gators. 1-0. I don't care if Samoa Joe is carrying your ass at the broadcast table, because he is. When it comes to situations that should speak for themselves... Let them speak for themselves, you fucking jackass. I feel better, Tony. Thank you for letting me ring it. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Not what you were expecting me to go off on? No, I mean, I didn't have any expectations, so I was just kind of curious. It's rare that I unleash on the show. But that legitimately took me out of that segment. Like I can get the uh, I can get the whole Call of Duty Night Vision thing that Randy Orton had going on. He is a big video gamer. It kind of ties together. But yeah, no, the fuck. Also, <laughs> where were the street profits to protect them as well? Because they were back there for a hot minute. Well, they just came in to show that they are party animals and they love red cups. So here's some red cups, guys. And apparently they decided to fuck off for the rest of the night because we didn't see him again. All right, so I named tonight's episode of The Reaction All in the Family. SmackDown has its family-specific story over there with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso that we have been absolutely raving about. The Mysterio story has had its bumps on Monday Night Raw. But they are taking the road we thought they might with Aaliyah and Buddy... Don't call me buddy, pal. Murphy, do you like the development with Murphy and Aaliyah? Do you think it's too much? Do you think that there's something here? And just as importantly, do you think Aaliyah has the chops to pull this off? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I will say that, like I said last week, she's not nearly as bad as um, what we've seen with uh, the Mysterio family. But also what we were exposed to tonight showed that she's not that good either. Uh, but, I mean, she's 19, you know, and I, I would I would assume she doesn't have any acting experience, so there's not a, a lot of high expectations. Um, one of the most common complaints we're seeing online is the age differentiation, um, with Murphy being, like, in his 30s and her being only 19. Look, first of all, if you don't think that a 19-year-old is attractive as, as a 30- to 35-year-old man, you're lying to the entire world, okay? Um, second of all, I don't think the a, WWE wait. is... Real quick, I'm a 35-year-old man, and I think Aaliyah's attractive. Continue. Right, yeah. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but I've stayed far away from saying anything, both in the report and on the podcast, about her in a sexual manner at all, simply out of an attempt to assure that anybody that may read something I review notice, wants, sees that I'm analyzing this specifically from a wrestling standpoint and not from a 30-something to 19-year-old standpoint, because we are a part of that age group, so... You know, I, I want to have some validity to me saying that this storyline is not good, <laughs> um, but it has nothing to do with the age differentiation at all. Uh, I don't think the WWE is nuanced enough to replicate uh, Romeo and Juliet or even Test and Stephanie. I don't think that they're good enough right now. I think that there's far too many people, far too many cooks in the in the kitchen to handle something like this. Not that it's a complicated story, but I think they want it to be, and it's coming off as a little hokey. Um, and there was no need to mention how old she was. 
mentioning that like they did tonight only amplifies the concerns that some people have with her age. Um, when you read the text messages, if you will, uh, they weren't all that, you know, bad. They weren't even flirtatious. Uh, although it, it is kind of weird that Seth could magically put the, the screenshot on the big screen that the WWE he, has. I wonder how he did that so quickly. Um, he, he, knows, he knows people in the production department. Uh, does he know Retribution? Because I know that they know people in the production truck as well. Maybe they know the Clearly. same guy. Yeah, I see. Okay, my it's, bad. Um, it's, it's D-Lo. Oh, yeah. So uh, Seth <laughs> trying to wedge the family apart. It's just, I don't know. It just comes off as very shallow storytelling. There's no depth to it. Um, like, we're, we have her come out to stop a match to prevent Dominic from beating up Murphy with a kendo stick. When just a few weeks ago, she was a part of a one-on-four beatdown of Murphy with a kendo stick. So it just, you know, it's short-sighted storytelling that makes me feel like they're just going week to week, which makes me also feel that they don't know what they want to do with Murphy yet. Is he the unsung hero that's just trying to find love in all the wrong places? Or is he a manipulator who's trying to help Seth Seth drive a wedge into the Mysterio family? I will say this. Either one of those options, I'm not really interested in. I'm over Seth versus Ray, and I'm over Murphy and Seth. Like, unless they're going to break up and have a match against one another that's a banger, I'm not really interested. See, I think we're getting closer to that happening, though, as Seth gets closer and closer to fatherhood pending. I do think that Murphy and Seth will be the write-off to Seth for now, from his character perspective, at least. Who knows? Maybe he'll get a bus and bring him on the road. I don't know. Big Show did have a bus. Yeah, doesn't Orton have a bus? Orton might have a bus, although he doesn't really need it right now since they're in Tampa and he or they're in Orlando and he's from Tampa, I think. So it's driving. Yeah. It's, yeah. All right, you ready to quick hits the rest of Raw? Uh, the rest of Raw. Sure. All right, before we do, I want to give my thoughts here. I actually enjoy the Aaliyah and Murphy overtones here. I think that there could be something here. I do think that Murphy's going to need a reinvention when Seth does disappear. And I don't necessarily know that I'm interested in Aaliyah as a heel, but given Murphy an opportunity to stand on his own once again, I think I'm okay with just because of the fact that we've talked about Murphy for the last few years on this show, how how underappreciated we think he is. So hopefully this will be the yeah. opportunity for Murphy to establish himself as an upper mid-card, lower main event level guy. Yeah, just there's just not enough wrestling and too much drama, and it's the wrestling that does happen is within amongst the same four people, and I'm just kind of over it I'd love for them there's you can't have family drama on Raw be as bad as this is when family drama on Smackdown is blowing you out the fucking water it just it's not good you see you think that you think that that's what's working against them here is the fact that they're going up against a similar family values program and a range and Uso that is so well done that it's making this look almost amateur hour by comparison I don't think that that's like an active factor but me and you on a podcast that analyzes wrestling on a weekly basis, I think has a lot to do with it. You can't like, it just, it feels so fake when you, when you, when you watch SmackDown and then a couple of days later you watch raw, you're like, nah, I'm not buying this. You know, <laughs> like, watch throwing that F word around Tony. God damn. Well, all right. 
Uh, quick hits. Oscar Zelina two, the second tapping. I don't get it. Here's why. Because I think that there's an opportunity to tell a story going down the road with Zelina with this, especially with her insulting Oscar's culture last night after doing the whole bow and then sneak attacking post bow, which I actually really liked because that was a way to keep to keep Zelina inside of Oscar's head. But sacrificing her a second night in a row when there's already another ready-made challenger that Oscar could be facing for Zelina to get involved with seems like a wasted opportunity to me. I feel like there's more to do with Mickey here that Zelina could take advantage of rather than having them go at it a second night in a row and having Zelina eat a second loss in a row. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. There was definitely more for Mickey. I mean, I just feel like they're rushing any possible story that they could be having with Zelina. And that's that's not what they should be doing because there's there's something there. Like, tonight didn't make any sense. She came out beaming with confidence when she lost last night. <laughs> it was like, it was weird. It's like they just pretended last night didn't happen. Or maybe Zelina's of the, maybe Zelina's of the character that she's going to just put it behind her and move forward instead and not dwell on no. the loss, if that makes sense. That that's not what the promos. That's not how she spoke with her promo before the match. It was like last night didn't happen. It wasn't. I'm gonna move from this and learn from it. It was just no. Let's just do this again. Let's just have a rematch when WWE has said rematches don't happen anymore. But that's fine. Rematches only happen when they're convenient to the storyline, Tony. Speaking they of don't make a the, rule about it. <laughs> I, I I don't disagree. Speaking of rematches that didn't need to happen, Apollo Crews got another shot at Lashley last night at Clash of Champions. Tonight, Apollo Crews was teaming with Ricochet again. And this time, they brought Mustafa Ali back into the fold, and they actually pick up a victory over the Hurt Business when Ali pins MVP with the 450 splash. I'm there for an Ali-Bobby Lashley U.S. title match at Hell in a Cell, Tony. Anything that gives well, Mustafa Ali a bigger platform... Is a okay in my book. Well, apparently, Ali can't even read a big ass sign on a door, so I don't know how much hope he has against Lashley in the ring. Um, I did not like that backstage segment at all. He's not dumb enough to walk through a double door that says the Hurt Business, unless he was trying to be shady. And that's not Ali because he's a former cop and a nice guy, so that doesn't make any sense. And then you have Ricochet and Apollo just suddenly appear. Of all people, it's those two that are nearby. You know, it just I don't know. It's small, super stupid. You know, but again, it's just one of those things that really takes me out of the show. Um, I feel like they don't think hard. They just think immediately, and they just do. Um, so anyways, the match itself was fine, but I just you, you can't fully buy Apollo and Ricochet against the Hurt Business because they've been getting their asses kicked for so long. It just doesn't really bode well. Ali winning, I'm glad he won, but I didn't need. I didn't really need him saddled with Ricochet and Apollo again. I would have minded. I wouldn't have minded him doing his own thing. He could have been the guy that Lashley kicked out of his seat. Why did we have to got, have to have them be weird to rude to some weird old white guy? Like that could have been Ali. <laughs> because they only wear suits on Mondays, Tony. Ah, uh, yes, the Black Mean Girls. That's to go with your reference in the Raw report. Which where can people find that? Four one one Mania dot com in the wrestling section. Shoot! All right, moving on. We already discussed Andrade and Keith Lee. Keith Lee picks up a bounce back win here, even though he just got punt kicked last week. So apparently the punt only lasts a week now in WWE parlance. <laughs> we already discussed the 
the Lawler segment with the Mysterio family. Oh boy! All right, so you are you are a PWG guy. You've made it known on the show. We've talked about Pro Wrestling Gorilla before on the show. There was a woman that used to work for Pro Wrestling Gorilla named Christina Von Erie. Do you remember her? Oh, that sounds familiar, but I can't. I can't say that I do. The tatted up chick that had the spiky hair. Sure. What's your What's your point? She used to do a move called the one three eight as a finish. It was a sidewalk slam turned face buster where she flipped the opponent and they landed on their face. The reason I bring this up, the reason I bring, and now you see where I'm going, the reason I bring this up is because Mandy Rose attempted to do that move to Lana tonight on Raw and almost broke Lana's fucking neck. That was fugly. I mean, that's basically a description of that entire tag match, is it not? Anything with Lana is fugly, except for her. But even there, I mean, I've said it before, I'm not really a Lana fan, but that's more type than anything. And I don't want to disparage someone off of their looks unless it's funny, so. I will say this much. I, I do think Lana looks really cute in her Natalia tribute gear. I, I'm i a fan of the pleather. I've made that no secret in the past. It's a good look for her. I still don't think she's that good of a wrestler. I think she's better utilized as a manager. And the pairing with Natalia in terms of entering competition isn't one that I have a ton of interest in. But I'll stop here before Liz yells at me next week. I have zero interest in Lana as a performer. Alistair Black has new music. <laughs> well, if you want to call it music, yeah, I guess. Hey, there's a certain section of the audience that appreciates the death metal genre. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I'm sure Alistair Black is one of them. Tony is there. I, I will say this. I will miss his Code Orange theme song. I love that. I love that song. I was a huge fan of it. I will miss it. But I think this is an opportunity for the WWE once again to move away from CFOs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. Not to mention, too, it is kind of a darker look for uh, Alistair now as well with uh, the whole black contact and the uh, the vest and the, 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 I guess you could call them pleather pants. Yeah, and then you all, there, there was a slight change in personality as well. Um, I mean, I'm just glad the creaking coffin is gone. Um, but he, he seemed a bit more energetic. He ran out with the beat instead of that slow, methodic, you know, I'm dark and I'm brooding. Now he's dark and he's angry. He's pissed the fuck off at, of uh, Drake Younger, apparently, or excuse me, Drake Works, WWE referee. Yeah, you know, we talked about upset. referee story. We talked about referee storylines on here before. They've made it no secret that Drake used to be a wrestler. Do you think this is an opportunity to get Drake in the ring, or do you think this is just an end to a mean with Alice's character? Yeah, it's definitely an angle. He's not getting in the ring. I'd like to see him get in the ring. I miss Drake. I did once. And I saw him take a cheese grater to the forehead. Yes. Drake was a deathmatch guy. That's kind of what he was known for. I had no idea until it happened. I was like, Michael, what did you, what did you bring? It was my first PWG show, I think. I'm almost positive. It was the one that Kevin Owen. it was Kevin Owens' last match as well. I'd have to look at the card. 
Uh, I might have to look that up too. And then if it's on a high spot, I might have to hook you up with the ability to watch that show again if you want to. Yeah, that'd be nice. Probably see myself in the crowd sitting next to Victoria. Assuming you have the opportunity. I'm actually watching, uh, this is completely off topic, but since we're talking Pro Wrestling Gorilla, I'm actually watching through the 2016 Pro Wrestling Gorilla shows just because I picked a random year on high spots to watch through start to finish. And fun fact, on the first couple of shows for Pro Wrestling Gorilla, you clear as clears D. Clear as day, see uh, Shayna Baszler and Jessamyn Duke in the audience watching as fans. Nice. I, I appreciate wrestlers that have an appreciation for the for the uh, for the sport, the, the desire to go and watch shows and learn stuff and get better. You know. It oh, it's very nice. level It's very fun to see. It's very it gave humbling me a too. Level yeah, it gave me a newfound level of respect for Jessamine. I knew Shayna did it before, but it gave me a newfound respect for Jessamine. And you mentioned Victoria sitting with you, sitting by you at a PWG show as well. And I mean, I've always had something of a crush on Victoria. She ain't the lady to mess with, you know. But she was super she cool, had... and I think, I think one of the biggest takeaways from that night was that she was more of a fan than I was. She was on her feet. She was cheering. She was hyped for everything. It that was one of the coolest experiences, just being next to her, want, seeing like, oh, she is a fan. <laughs> I want to state for the record that that makes me like Victoria even more than I already do. Yeah, she was great. All right, uh, what did you think of the uh, Owens and Alistair Black match outside of the finish? Because we kind of discussed the finish with the uh, disqualification already. Uh, I think I, what did I say in the report? I, I want to repeat that. Um, I said something along the lines of, like, it's always a struggle when you have a match that is incredibly good and you want it to keep going, and then it's just slightly marred by a shitty finish. On one hand, I can appreciate that they want this to last a little longer, but it's always so deflating when you get a good match brewing and a shitty ending stops it. Yeah, that sounds like me. (laughs) It does. That's you verbatim. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly... But that's exactly how I feel. Like, you don't want this to I mean, end right now. You feel like there's plenty of story to tell. But also, like, you know, a wrestler hitting a referee with an elbow on accident and not feeling it. I get, That totally makes sense. You're, your adrenaline is pumping. You're in the middle of something crazy. You just want to kill this guy named Kevin Owens for, back, you know, not being there for you when you needed him. And, you know, you threw an elbow and it hit a ref. But and to end the match and all that, it just, you know, uh, I don't know. I would have liked something better. I just don't know what. I'm okay for this being what it was, just because it's an end to a means here. And I get the idea behind it. So, I'm alright with it for being what it was. I understand what you're talking about, about how it, how a, uh, like, kind of a crummy finish ruins a good match, though, because I get that. But again, ends to a means, so I'm not as offended by it as I would be if this were, say, an attempt at a blow-off. All right. Right. So, apparently, uh, R-Truth gets condolences when a character's all gets eaten by a shark. There we go. All right, here's the thing. The segment involves Drew Gulak, so I'm giving it a pass because, you know, I have something of a man crush on Drew Gulak. And I can openly admit that. 
Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. This segment was garbage. Um, the entire—I I don't think I've liked like a single segment of the 24/7 title. Um, so it, it, sh- it should come as no surprise if this didn't interest me at all. Uh, it's just really just asinine. I mean, did he die? Did he get eaten by a shark? No, he didn't. Okay, I guess. And then how did Drew become the ninja that brings the briefcase that has Akira's black belt? And why would the black belt be something that Truth would treasure or desire? And why would Akira go to all this elaboration just to roll our truth up when he's done it many times before? And why would our truth be playing chess with little Jimmy earlier today, yet mention Drew McIntyre's open challenge? I just, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Uh, the triple threat itself actually wasn't a bad little match for as short as it was. Yeah, yeah, you know. Why would anybody want this fucking belt? Why would anybody want this dress? <laughs> Swearing Tony might be best, Tony. It doesn't make any sense. There's never been any clout. There's never been a pay raise or mention of, like, opportunities in the future. There's never been any, like, hey, since you have the belt 40 fucking times, here's a world title shot. Nothing. The only thing that you can get from this is the hope that our truth is funny this week. And he's hit or miss. He's more hit than he is miss. I'll give him that. But. I did appreciate him mourning Akira Tozawa. If you're reading this, I've been eaten by a shark. I don't know why. It made me chuckle. Sometimes I'm a simple man to please, Tony. I hope that I'm also a simple man to please. I mean, AEW does it pretty consistently. Uh, I just think it doesn't insult me as a viewer. Well, I'm on Tony Khan's payroll, so that could help. When am I going to start seeing some of that? We talk AEW on here. Not nearly as much as he would like us to. He sent me a memo. God damn it. I don't, think there's a lot, I don't think there's a lot of money in gushing over wrestling on a podcast right now. So we'll stick with the hatred for Raw. <laughs> <laughs> That's what draws the ratings. <laughs> Clearly hating everything is what draws the ratings. That's why Cornette does the business he does. God damn. <laughs> Fuck you, Jim. You out of touch, bitter piece of shit. All right. And not that Cornette knows I exist, but fuck him anyway. That wraps up Raw, actually, Tony. <laughs> mm-hmm. We discussed everything else already. Uh, favorite match or moment from this week on television? The pay-per-view does not count. It's not television. I mean, it is, but it's paid television. You know what I mean. Uh, I like the ending of SmackDown. I really, really, Jay's promo on its in its entirety was great. Brain's responses. I don't know. You just, you truly believe that this could be a conversation that they would have outside of the WWE. Like I'm, I I love that you're in this business with me because I love that we're family and I love that we're continuing this um, as a family, but I'm the big dog. I'm the one that's going to be this family. Not you. You can't. Why would I let you? Why would I trust that you could do that? You can't. You come out with Wale to handle shitty rap battles and talk about wrestlers shaving their back. Why would I trust you to hold the mantle? And Jay, you know, with, within his rights, 
he's a wrestler in WWE. Why wouldn't he think that he could do it as well? It's just good storytelling. It's so simple, but so good. Yeah, we already blushed and blushed about this show, this segment earlier in the show. I don't think Philbin needs to drive it at home once again. Clearly the best thing there. Uh, least favorite match or moment from this week? Mm. Um, I might as well give it to Lana and Natalia, specifically the promo that they cut. It doesn't even make sense from a heel point of view. It doesn't make – they should hand me the titles. The WWE tag team, women's tag team titles were created because of us. Uh, we have more followers and we're famous, so we should get the belt. That's not even – that's delusion. It's not even good heel work. It's just – what are you talking See, I about? I think that's the point of the character, though, is that Lana's delusional. No, that's not the point. Oh, well, I'm trying, Tony. I'm trying to give her something so that way Liz doesn't yell at me. I am going to give my least favorite match or moment to Mandy Rose for damn near killing her with the 138. Yeah, that that was that was not. Never, you should not have done that. Never do that again. Never do that again, poor, Mandy. Never. You know, poor um, poor Mandy. You know, she was on her way to a nice little singles push, and she got a lot of love from the blue brand, and she was, you know, really making something of herself. And then, freaking, they put her in a team with Dana Brooke. Ugh. I have long been an advocate of Dana on this show, mostly because I personally find her hot. The woman can't wrestle yeah. a lick. Not she can't promo either. Did you see that promo? She randomly stared off into space where Dom was. Like, was she upset about it? Was she confused? Did she not know who he was, or was that just the Botox she turned on her eyes up? I don't think so, man. I I don't know. Tonight's episode of the reaction brought to you by Botox. Apparently, all right. Let's move on. Overall show rating for Raw tonight? Um, seven. Um, seven, you know, I, I guess I feel the need to explain myself because people think that seven is a good rating. Um, seven is a average rating for me. Five is not an average rating. I know my scale, you know, our scale is one to ten. To me, five is pretty fucking bad. <laughs> seven is average. Um, that's kind of what I go by. And I think that tonight was much better with the absence of of Raw Underground and the minimalization of Raw of Retribution to the point where we got a video package that glitched and a uh, a small interruption of the Hurt Business's business. Um, other than that, they stayed off the screen, and those are the two most offensive things that have been on Raw for the past few months, according to me. So it wasn't a bad show. It was average. There were some little holes or things I didn't enjoy. But, you know, I think it ran the gamut of, like I said in the Raw report, uh, bad wrestling to good wrestling, bad stories to good stories. So it's kind of a mixed bag, and a mixed bag creates an average show. So, See, I actually use it 1 to 10 rating like it's supposed to be used. So when I say 7, it's above average for me, and that's what I gave tonight's Raw as well. What school did you go to where 7 is above average? A C minus Harry is average, barely. <laughs> Okay, but in fairness, 70% is a C under some grading systems. It is a C. It's a C minus. C is average. It's yes. not above average. That's, 
you're missing the point. This is why I don't use letter grades, Tony. <laughs> I hate you sometimes. I really do. Yeah. I know. Anyway, <laughs> who's your MVP? And don't say MVP or I fucking quit. Not this week. I do love his swag, but this week was a little... You know, bullying a janitor just doesn't really... It's just not heel work anymore. It's 2020. That's just rude. Like, you're... It's not even like, oh, he's a bad guy. It's just like, come on, bro. Like, and let me tell you, though, Tony if that just, was Randy Orton, man. Tony just went full on full house. How rude. Really, though. It just doesn't make any sense. Not Not right now. Bullying a janitor isn't fun anymore. Um, <clears throat> no, um, I, Jay, Jay Uso, just fucking proud of that dude. Look, where was he a month ago? Ask yourself that. Uh, on, <laughs> on vacation because of the fact that his brother was injured. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of brings us back to the point that you raised earlier, that anyone can be made a main eventer if they so choose. I stand by that. I think that if done properly... And if given the proper motivation, that any star, anybody can be made into a star. Except for Eva Marie. Or Lana. Well, I mean, see, I could argue that. I think she's a star. I just think she has no redeemable qualities on a wrestling product. You could be a person. You could be an Internet personality. You could be a YouTube star. You could be Miro's wife. But she's proven over several years that there's not a lot of um, – return on the investment of Lana the character. All right, real quick before um my my MVP for this week is Robert Roode. I was really impressed by his return match. I thought he looked in great shape. I thought he put in a, a phenomenal performance here. I really don't hope they go back to the to the the the, the show off heels or whatever the fuck they call it his team with Ziggler because it's a waste to both of them at this point. Ziggler can fuck <laughs> off to Raw Underground. Let Rude You're going to see Rude and Raw Underground in two weeks, guaranteed. What's this about fantasy booking that you hate, Tony? Hush. Oh, that's not a, that is not a fantasy. That is Nightmare on Elm Street, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to give it to Robert Rude for his performance tonight, and as a welcome back to the company as well, because I do think he busted his ass tonight and put in a really good match against Drew McIntyre. I think that wraps us up, Tony. All right. Okay, so you like to talk AEW. Let's actually talk a little AEW at the tail end here because I have I have a little bit of a bitch about last week's episode, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Fuck, you want me to remember all the way to Wednesday? All right, I'll try. What's up? Buy or sell. Miro in a tag match in his first match in AEW was a mistake. <sighs> Miro in that tag match was a mistake. Damn, that was horrible. Poor guy. Now, you know, one thing that I was unable to clear up in the report is that simply by disliking the debut of Miro does not mean that I wanted him to get the Ryback treatment because longtime listeners and readers of Tony Acero know that I hate squash matches. Um, I didn't want him to come in and run through AEW talent. I didn't want that at all. I kind of expected what I expect from AEW in general, a nice little small package of a wrestling match that shows and highlights why he belongs in AEW. We didn't really get that. We got some horrible sloppiness. 
I didn't know that Joey Janela was not is not a trained wrestler. I didn't know that. I don't know if that's true or not. You would know more than me. But when I read that, I really was like, oh well, <laughs> there 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 goes that. Um, <laughs> um, and Sunny Kiss, I love him, her, he, she. I don't know. I wish I knew their pronoun because I don't want to disrespect them. Them. I actually I don't think she likes them. I I, I heard that. Um, <clears throat> but anyways, point is, I don't think that she's that crisp yet. I think that there's tons of talent there, but it needs to be fine-tuned. It needs to be honed in. So an untrained wrestler in Joey Janela and Sunny Kiss, who although gets a lot of hype, I'm not really fully on board with yet. Um, although greatest ass in wrestling, I'll give her that, though. Damn. Um, but anyways, with regards to actual wrestling, it just it, this wasn't the right team to put them up against. We, again, we know Kip Sabian's pretty stellar. We know that he's an asshole. We know that... Um, Miro as the best man is funny. I like that. I'm cool with it. But just everything in, in conjunction with one another, it just led to a really bad. So I won't say no, he shouldn't have been debuting in a, in a tag team match. Just not against the people that he was up against. I'm going to say it shouldn't have been a tag match. I know you hate the squash match treatment, but given how strong the following for Miro is, given how much he moved the needle when he debuted last week, because Twitter was all a buzz about his debut when he came into the company two weeks ago. It's a missed opportunity. You're already putting a lot of the ex-WWE talent on top anyway. Put the put the rocket on this guy. Like, you, you have Mox in your main event. You've got Brody in your main event. You've got... I was talking to my former Wrestling Unwrapped co-host, Patrick Ketza, about this. And did you know that out of the ten people that have held titles in the men's division in, the, in AEW... Seven of them were under WWE contract at one point. Yeah. You know, I, I'll never understand the argument of WWE rejects. You know, I, I think TNA was more blatant in it where they signed them in spite of WWE. Whereas I think AEW signed WWE wrestlers that they see potential in or that didn't really get a fair shake. I don't think TNA was or ever that- interested in giving a a fair shake to certain people, you know? I think or they just said, okay, or, well, you were... Well, go ahead. Or that Cody happens to be best friends with. Matt yeah, Cardona. yeah, because I, I, I will say that Zack Ryder, I, you know, I could care, I couldn't care less whether he's, you know, there or not. Um, but, yeah, so, but even that, like, like I said, you can make a star, you know, in as little as one show. Um but with Miro, I, I, I get what you mean. I think what it is, it's the Rusev fandom and that feeling, that angst that he never got his fair shot. So you want him to be pushed to the moon. But there's something to be said about giving legitimacy to you as a wrestler. And I'm, I'm talking about Miro, not AEW. To where, show up, show the fuck out, and show me why I signed you. Not because I'm going to give you a squash match, but AEW is a land where wrestlers wrestle. I wanted to see. I wanted to see Miro in a match that was like a good back and forth, but they obviously were outmatched against him. You know, imagine in in an ideal world, Miro going roughly 12 minutes, even even in your case, a singles match, but showing that he actually has it. You know what I mean? Can I, I don't think in, we got to see that. Can I throw out a name that I think would have been a perfect first opponent for him? Sure. Jungle Boy. <laughs> Jungle Boy would have died for him a hundred times in one match. Well, think about this here. 
when Jungle Boy's over, Jungle Boy has backup with um, with Luchasaurus, so he has an imposing threat that can kind of even the size odds a little bit. And Jungle Boy's you automatically that have that ooh, maybe they're gonna fight feel like you know eventually the dinosaur is gonna lock up with Miro. Yeah, you could lead to eventually Luchasaurus steps in after Miro. Maybe Miro doesn't let go of the accolade when Jungle Boy gives up the match. So many different ways you could have gone with this here instead of wasting him in a tag match. And not only wasting him in a tag match, wasting him in a tag match with the opponents that he had. I like Joey Janela. I've always been a fan of the bad boy. I'm indifferent towards Sonny Kiss. I've seen the gimmick done better elsewhere. Um, there's uh, uh, Paris Sahara, who's local to us here in Ohio, does the Sunny Kiss gimmick and does it better than Sunny Kiss does, and is a better athlete as well, in my opinion. So, part of it is is that I don't especially care for the opponents, but like you said, the match wasn't good either. No. One mistake, cool. Two mistake, all right. Three or more, hey guys, you need to you need to chill. You know, <laughs> maybe you, maybe you need to go back to the practice ring for a little bit and work out those kinks. I I do think that part of the reason why that they're um, they're kind of slow burning Miro here is because something shady is going to happen with the wedding with him and Sabian, and I wouldn't be surprised if Sabian is his first real feud, and I'm okay with that because okay. I do like Sabian as a performer. But, yeah, don't waste him in these kinds of tag matches here if you're not going to have him as a tag team wrestler. And it would be a waste of your money to keep him as a tag team wrestler. Then again, I'm not on Tony Khan's payroll. What the fuck do I know? You, you know are, shit. so you I know stop everything. Que- well, you are on his payroll, so you should stop questioning his decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you online, Tony? Uh, Twitter, Tony Acero 411, 411 Mania. You can find me everywhere, every day, damn near. At HEB the Eagle on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much anywhere that has a social media platform, that's where I am, except Snapchat. I don't use that shit. Not for me. Um, in addition, Harry Broadhurst on Facebook as well, if you don't want to look through HEB the Eagle. I'm hoping to bring back some reviews to the chair shot soon. I'm working out some kinks with the new computer in order to be able to type them a little bit better because the program that I use isn't the greatest and open office isn't available on the computer I have now, which is unfortunate because I love open office. But hopefully reviews coming back to the chair shot soon from your Australia. Maybe Tony will write an opinion column there at some point again too. And what's going on with the Steam music thing, Tony? The who? Oh, yeah, I haven't put any any energy into that yet. Um, honestly, to be on, to be completely honest with you and to the world, um, this isn't me bragging. I'm actually incredibly proud and happy. Um, my restaurant is doing super well. <laughs> um, we have adapted with everything that's been thrown at us with this disease that's going on, and without hurting people, without. Um, denying people safety, trying to follow every rule possible, you know, respecting people's space and the possibility that, you know, this killer virus can hurt us, regardless of anybody's views, whether it be political or social or anything, we do our best to try to 
make our place a, a safe environment. And I think that that has done so much for us because the positive um, work that we've done has created a huge following. The unfortunate side of that is that I am at the restaurant every single day now, like every day. It is such a, I, I, I you should see me on wrestling days, Larry or Harry. I, I rush home to cover Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown, and then I rush back to the restaurant to close it up, to help the staff, blah, blah, blah. And then I got to be there again in the morning to open up, to follow up with things that are changing. You know, half my staff is still on unemployment, so there's a lot of paperwork on that end. Um, That's kind of what I was doing actually not too long ago. It's just, it's very, very, very time-consuming. So as much as I would like to write an entire column or columns for chair shot or four one one. It's just it's not in the cards. But it doesn't mean that those ideas are dead. And it's also thankfully it's a topic and various topics that um you know, won't go away anytime soon. So yeah, when we when, when I can find some time, when I can ha- fine tune my schedule and hopefully when we open up on the inside even just a little bit, I'll be able to free some time for myself and get back to working on those things and a couple of other things that I want to work on. Tony enjoys his non-expirational topics. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> he the irony is, is that one. Um, one, of the, one of the biggest things um, that Ash wants from 411 is people that can write topical topics, like something happened on Raw. Or, or I'll give you an example. He would probably want me to write something about family feuds in WWE because it, it makes sense to do that, to do that right now. And it's like, well, I mean, shit, I don't got the time, man. Why don't you just let me write a column about, you know, why Roth sucks? Um, I did have, I don't know if I ever told you my idea. If I had the timing, uh, the time and the comedic chops to do it, I would probably write a column called The Melting Pot based on Dave Meltzer and just have it be a bunch of obvious statements or bullshit stories that, you know, anybody can talk about. (laughs) I still feel I could pull that off. I just need, I just need to do it at the right time. Uh, we on the reaction are firm believers of FDM. Yeah, guy's an idiot. <laughs> if people pay that to is... get his news, that's wild. We should start charging. <laughs> we should start charging for people to. Nah, nobody would pay to listen to me. You know who would? Man, what were their names? JD and the whatever. <laughs> John. Man. Those guys are great. They would pay. <laughs> For the absent co-hostess with the mostest, Miss Liz Fuglisi, and the down since day one co-host, Tony Acero. Fun fact, I'm going to introduce my new nickname here that I've gotten on the kickoff that I do. I am the voice cool. of reason, Harry Broadhurst. You have been listening to the reaction here on the ChairShot Radio Network. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next Monday night here on the ChairShot Radio Network. Tony, send us home. Feel better, Liz's mom. Okay, bye. Aw, that was nice of him. Deuces, bitches.
And if you're still listening, we'll join you again next Monday night at 11.30 p.m. Eastern here live on the Chairshot Radio Network for The Reaction with Harry Broadhurst, Tony Acero, and hopefully Grace Puglisi. Talk to you guys next Monday. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.